This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major Fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast this week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this amazing program known as The Takeout, which is two things each and every week. Those early adopters on podcast platforms know this. So does our beloved audience on CBSN. Hello there, and on more than 75 radio stations around the country, including including Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124. What are those two things? Relentlessly curious, steadfastly non-ideological. We have guests from all over the political spectrum on this show. Remember, it's a conversation, not an interrogation. Our guest this week, Governor Gretchen Whitmer of the great state of Michigan. Governor, it's great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Major. I'm glad to be with you. So I want to set this up for the audience. Uh, this is not my home. Those of you watch on CBSN, you can tell this is not the Room Raider that got a 10. Okay, I know the governor got a 10 too, so we're both in the 10 category, all right? It's my hotel in Midtown Manhattan, Times Square, just across the street from CBS World Election Headquarters, where I'll be next Tuesday night. I hope you'll be watching. So that's the setup. That's where I am. And the camera's way up here. I may occasionally look down at the at the monitor or my various phones, but I'll try to keep eye contact with the camera and by extension, the governor. So, Governor, you are co-chair of Joe Biden's campaign. Is he going to win Michigan? I think so, but we're not taking anything for granted. So we're going to run through the tape, which means we are working every single day to ensure that Michigan voters know that they every day is Election Day between now and November 3rd. We amended our Constitution in 2018. And that means uh, Michiganders, for the first time, can just pop into a clerk's office well in advance of an election, uh, register if they aren't registered already, get their ballot, fill it out, and and leave it there. And so we've already had over 2.2 million ballots in. Uh, We expect another 3 million people to vote, maybe more than that. Um, And the more people that can vote between now and Tuesday, the less likely they'll have to wait in line as we are still in the midst of a global pandemic. So we're going to work hard and we're taking nothing for granted. When you say, I think so, what's the probability? (laughs) I don't don't play that game, Major. You can ask me 10 (laughs) more times between now and when this interview is done, and I'm not going to I'm not going to put numbers on it. Um, a win is a win, and uh, the historic turnout I think we're going to see is is really good news for for Joe Biden. People in Michigan are hardworking, 
good people. We expect our government to be as hardworking and as good as we are, if not better. And I think um, Joe Biden's got a message that really resonates with Michigan voters. If I recall correctly, about 80,000 voters in Warren County participated in 2012, but did not participate in 2016. That proved to be conspicuous. Do you think Warren County turnout will exceed 2012? Well, one of the things that we know is that in 2016, Uh, Donald Trump won Michigan by less than 11,000 votes. And just two years later, I won by over 400,000 votes. Our turnout was much higher. It was the most votes any governor's ever earned for, for this position that I currently have. But I think it's more a testament to the fact that people are engaged. People understand uh, there are consequences from, from elections. And this one really is uh, one of the most important in our lifetimes, maybe one of the most important in our nation's history. People get it, and we want leadership that cares about us, leadership that takes pandemics and threats to our health and safety seriously, and one that can get our economy revved back up so we can get back to back to work. Getting our arms around this virus is absolutely critical to getting us back to work and making the United States the American the uh, economic powerhouse that we should be. One of the narratives of this campaign is Trump supporters are very enthusiastic, Biden supporters mildly so. Is that a problem? I don't think that, you know, I've read all sorts of narratives. I don't think that that's accurate. As I get around, and, and I mean, we're still in a pandemic and we are taking it seriously. We don't do big crowds where people are maskless and, you know, potentially exposing one another to COVID. We're doing car rallies. We're showing up in volunteer appreciation events. Instead of packing people in, we take pictures that are socially distanced. It looks a little weird. We all have our masks on. But the fact of the matter is we want to keep people safe. And I think uh, people get that. And so I see a lot of enthusiasm for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I see a lot of enthusiasm uh, around voters who understand that our health care is in jeopardy in this election. Um, and so I'm, I, I do think that the enthusiasm will be revealed in the sheer numbers of people that are coming out to vote. Should voters think about Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania as if they are one kind of place with one kind of voter? <laughs> well, you know, no state is exactly like any other. Uh, but I will acknowledge, I've talked to my counterparts mm-hmm. in both Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. There are some very similar dynamics that run through our states in the Midwest. We know that um, a trade by tweet can have incredibly damaging impacts on our farmers and our automakers alike. We know that Um, At the end of the day, we've got to be able to protect the water that defines the Great Lakes region. We know that the skills gap is a reality that we are confronting and an administration that has a plan to uh, connect people with the skills they need for, for jobs of the future is going to be good for all of us. And so we're similar, that's for sure. Uh, But we are not all the same. That's, that's for sure as well. The point I'm driving at is if, former Vice President Biden succeeds in Michigan, do you believe he will also succeed in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania? I think the message to our voters is similar. Um, And and I do think that uh, they are focusing and not taking any one of our states for granted. And I think that's a a good thing. And um, 
we don't all vote exactly the same way, but certainly our voters care about a lot of the same issues. So and, I'm and glad they're you, focusing on all of us. And when you talk to those governors in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, are they as bullish as you are? You know, I think we're we're all feeling very optimistic that our states are going to be a part of, of making the change that we need as a as a nation. But we all are pragmatists. We all got elected in these states that also went for Donald Trump just four years ago. And so I, I know none of us takes it for granted. Optimistic, but traumatized, I guess, right? <laughs> well, we we have long memories and we want to make sure that no one takes our states for granted. That's you, for sure. You know this, Governor, but for the benefit of the audience, we're recording this on October 28th. I believe if I've read correctly, October 30th is when the deadline to either extend or not extend the health department in Michigan's current restrictions for COVID-19 expire. Will you extend them? Yes, of course. Every state in the nation is in some form of state of emergency. COVID numbers are exploding across the country. Uh, We will have to maintain our mask mandates and our limitations on gatherings. And so there will be an extension, yes. Will you dial them up as you suggested recently? It's very possible. These COVID numbers are very serious. We are eight months into this, um, you know, COVID-19 experience in the United States, and we still don't have a national strategy. The Trump administration has not gotten their arms around this virus. In fact, they're trying to say we're rounding the bend. They're trying to say we'll never get control over this. So let's just, you know, go back to life as it was. That is a fatalist attitude, and it's going to cost lives. And that's why we got to take this seriously. We have to double down on mask mandates. We have to um, encourage our fellow Americans to keep doing what we need to do to keep ourselves safe until there's a national strategy or there are vaccines that are being mass produced that are safe and, and effective. So this is the reality of the moment we're living in. Had we had federal leadership that that did what other countries have done, we'd be in a much stronger position but they didn't. And it has consequences in terms of lives lost and livelihoods lost. And that's why I think this is the dinner table issue of 2020. And that's why I think the nation's ready for leadership that will get their arms around it. When former Vice President Biden said at the last debate, we're not living with this virus, we're dying from it. Was that too dark a message? Well, it's real, Um, you know, and and people don't want happy talk. They wanna know what are we confronting? How serious is this issue? This virus is still present all across the country. It is growing. Every time that there's a rally with people packed in together without their masks on, our tracing shows that there's been an outbreak of COVID. Uh, This is a moment where I think we need leaders who are going to be honest with us, who are going to um, say it the way that it is and and put their plan on the table and get it done. And I, I do think that um, straight talk is what, what the country is so desperate for. We want honesty, we want people with integrity, experience to get things done. And, and I think that's, that's really what Joe Biden offers. That's voice of Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. I'm Major Garrett. Stay tuned for segment two of The Takeout in just a second. Say goodbye to performance robbing engine deposits with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Hate to break it to you, but lower grade fuel can leave deposits in your engine that build up over time and leave your engine's performance severely lacking. Thankfully, Shell V-Power Nitro Plus removes up to 100% of performance robbing deposits with continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors. Download the Shell app today to find your nearest Shell station 
and rejuvenate your engine with Shell V Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Fuel up at Shell. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. You come to the show because we have some of the best guests imaginable in American politics, and we certainly do this week. Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Democrat of Michigan. Governor, let's continue the COVID-19 conversation for just a bit longer. Uh, the vice president has five positive cases in his office, his chief of staff, his body person. For those of you who don't know in politics, that means the one person who's with you handles your schedule sort of closest to you in proximity. Everyone has it in politics, meaning there is an exposure issue there. And yet the vice president continues to campaign. The president on the stump says over and over again, COVID, COVID, COVID. After this election, you'll never hear about it because it's only being used, weaponized against me. Your reaction to both? Well, first and foremost, you know, I hope that the vice president doesn't have COVID, but I really hope he doesn't spread COVID. Being in close proximity to someone is inherently uh, in the CDC's own definitions, a type of situation where you would insist on quarantining. When um, Kamala Harris, some of her people had COVID, they took her off the campaign trail, did some testing to make sure that she didn't have it. I think that that's the responsible thing to do. That's what we're asking our fellow Americans to do. And our leaders should lead by example. So it's incredibly distressing. The body person is the one who's with you all the time in cars. When you're in a car, you're in an incredibly close, closed in space. And if one person has COVID and you're not all masked up with N95 masks, you need to be quarantining and, and they're just not doing it. And I think that's part of the problem that we're having in our country in terms of people taking this seriously and, and wearing masks and following the CDC guidelines to stay safe. And you it, asked another part of the question. I can't remember what it was. Well, the president says COVID, COVID, COVID. After the election, you won't hear about it because the media just wants to use it against me, weaponizing it against me. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And and I think that ridiculing the seriousness of, of COVID-19 is is a major factor of why we've got such uncontrolled spread going across this, this country. None of us wants to go back into shutdowns. But if you look at what's happening um, in, in various states, we know that that's a real possibility. And I think we all want to avoid that. So we got to get the politics out of masking. I don't have any confidence that that's going to happen in the next seven days or so. Um, I know for a fact the day after election, we'll still be talking about COVID because the activities that are happening right now won't even reveal the results of it for two more weeks when we start seeing numbers increasing as a result of the current rallies that they're holding. So yes, we'll still be talking about COVID. This is not some partisan ploy. This is a very real public health crisis that's ravaging our nation. And it's going to be incumbent on hopefully a Biden-Harris administration to get their arms around it. And they won't get the opportunity until the end of January. So COVID will be a problem for a while. I don't need to tell you, Governor, you probably as public officials go in this country better versed in this than just about anyone. There is tremendous friction about either lockdowns or semi-lockdowns, mask mandates, using the apparatus, even as you did a 1945 law, which your state Supreme Court has said was exercised improperly to improve public health or at least reduce the spread of the virus. What has been your absorption of that pushback and that friction. And we'll get to the kidnapping plot separately. I'm not suggesting it's separate, but I just want to try to get to this idea that people push back against it. They think their constitutional rights are being violated. They hold those beliefs strongly and they believe there is something 
odious and onerous about a government telling them things that they can't do amidst a public health crisis? Well, so first, I think it's important to, to talk about the actions that governors across the country have taken. With the void of leadership coming out of Washington, D.C., it's been on the nation's governors to step up, to follow the science, to take action to save lives. And we have both sides of the aisle. Some of the people that I consult most, most frequently are people like Mike DeWine, Republican governor of Ohio, who is to our southern border. I discussed with J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois. We're all taking this seriously and we're taking steps to keep our people safe. We have different sources of authority. The 1945 law that I was using to issue my executive orders um, has been used by governors for 75 years in the state of Michigan. Um, the court said I used that law appropriately, but what they did was say back in 1975, our legislature couldn't have delegated this authority to governors. I mean, it was mental gymnastics to the extreme to undermine the work that we have done. That means every governor before me who's used these powers wasn't, was, really shouldn't have been able to. I mean, it's just ludicrous. All that being said, I still have executive authorities through epidemic um, issue uh, orders that we can issue from the Department of Health and Human Services. I know that this has been a hard time. I know that uh, going into lockdowns is difficult, especially if you're a small business owner that has spent your lifetime building that business up. And it's, it makes whether or not you're going to survive, it brings that into question. All the people who got laid off who are worried about paying their rent or putting food on the table. The middle class that never thought they'd be in a food line who now is in various parts of our country. But what we also have to recognize is 225,000 Americans have died from this virus, a virus that the Trump administration has, has belittled the seriousness of this, a virus that the Trump administration has told us was not as, um, as critical. It said we'd be back in church by last Easter. I mean, this is a very serious moment. We have to take measures to get our arms around this virus. And it's not easy. Um, we're all tired of this. I, I got to tell you, every, every governor I've talked to is tired of dealing with this too. None of us wants to have to use the powers that we have had to to keep people safe. But we recognize in this moment, um, with a novel virus for which there's still no cure and no vaccine, these types of, of strategies are, are the best tool that we have, masking up, pulling back in terms of our, our contacts with one another. It's how we save lives and mitigate the pain on our economy. And we're going to continue to be unapologetic about doing what we need to to protect people and to protect our economy. Do you think, Governor, there's a direct line between this friction, this sense of grievance about the either lockdowns or shutdowns or masks and the kidnapping plot against you? Well, there's no question in my mind that there is a real link between a lot of the rhetoric that is playing out um, and the anxiety that has been exploited and now has turned into something very dangerous. Uh, when Donald Trump comes into my state, which he did yesterday, and he held a rally and he said, you know, we've got to stop the lockdown. It's just a lie. Michigan has not been in any form of a stay home order since the beginning of June. Um, he says you can't go to school. That's not true. I mean, he's propagating things that are demonstrably false, but he's whipping up anger by doing this, by lying to the crowd and feeding into the, the anxiety and fear and anger that people have. And it's downright dangerous and it's got to stop. And do you feel that danger to this day? Oh, absolutely. Every time he sets his sights on me, 
I get more death threats. The violent rhetoric has an uptick. And there's no question that um, it's had an impact. My, I've had to have conversations with my teenage children about why there are people with AR-15s on our front lawn on more than one occasion. People um, are, are looking for any hook to legitimize these um, domestic terrorism tendencies. And I think that uh, Donald Trump knows that. And it's, it's not a coincidence and he's beating it. You appeared on Meet the Press recently and the Trump campaign noted that there was a plant around you that had beneath it, beneath it uh, the, word, the letters 8645. And the Trump campaign asserted on Twitter that was a secret message for someone to 86 the president of the United States. Your response? That's just ridiculous. You know, look behind me. Those signs have been behind me the whole time. One says respect. One says love. Someone gave me a sticker. It said 8645. 86, if anyone who's worked in food business, uh, you know, knows that means that means reject or take it off the menu. Um, that's all I was simply conveying is I think we need to reject Donald Trump's rhetoric. I think we need to reject his lack of a strategy around COVID-19. I think we need to reject the division that he continues to sow in this nation. And the president also recently said our people helped out on that case, meaning he helped you with through the FBI deal with the kidnapping plot as 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 if to suggest that his people solved the problem for you, not the American government applying American laws to protect American citizens. So, I mean, I the first thing I did when I spoke after the plot was revealed was thank the FBI and the Michigan State Police. These are law enforcement professionals that put their own lives on the line to protect me and my family. And I'm grateful for that. Um, second, you know, the, the thought that any one of us should feed the anger that has endangered others is, is un-American. And Dr. Fauci is getting threats. Leslie Stahl is now getting threats. This kind of atmosphere is so dangerous. We as Americans, a foundational principle is that we settle our differences at the ballot box and then we abide by those. And we have a peaceful transition of power. And if you don't like what's happening, you get organized for the next election. We Hold on, Governor. I need to go to a break. We'll pick up that thought on the other side. That's the voice of Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Democrat of Michigan. I'm Major Garrett. Stay tuned for segment three of The Takeout in just a second. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Continuing our conversation with Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. Governor, since the kidnapping plot, have you changed any of your procedures and the way you approach your day, the schedule, your visibility, anything at all? Nope. Why? I've never felt unsafe. I've got the Michigan State Police are my detail. Um, I haven't for one second been in fear of what is happening. I'm angry about it. Um, And I think that we have to hold people accountable when they use their positions to give comfort to or legitimacy to domestic terrorist groups. But I got a job to do and no one's going to deter me from doing it. To the degree you can discuss it, which might not be at all. How much did you know about this before the public knew about it? I knew a bit. I knew a bit uh, for about a month and a half, you know, my detail had told me some of the things that were happening. It gave me the opportunity to chat with my, my children and my husband so that, and my extended family, uh, you know, a bit, because I think it was important for them to not be um, ambushed by the news when it broke, but I haven't purposefully delved into too much of the detail. I haven't read all the affidavits. Um, I, I know that, 
our attorney general and our U.S. attorneys are going to do their job and hold these people um, accountable and get convictions. And I got a job to do that. That takes all my attention. Do you worry that there is a thought in America now more prevalent than it used to be that taking the law into your own hands is acceptable? I do worry about that. I think that the mob mentality that has been stoked, uh, the fear that has been exploited, the anger that has been um, incited is, is real and it has real impacts. You probably saw the chief medical executive in Illinois. I have to take a moment away from the mic the other day because it's just been incredible stress dealing with a virus that's uh, deadly and knowing people who've died from it. I think that the anger that has been shifted onto our incredibly dedicated public servants like Dr. Fauci and um, who show up every day, who don't have a political bone in their body, they're just trying to save lives. It's real and it's going to have long lasting impacts. And that's why I think we as a nation, I'm hopeful that we embrace someone who's incredibly decent, who can bring us together like Joe Biden and, and people of goodwill on both sides of the aisle, step up and speak up about, we will not tolerate this kind of domestic terrorism. You use the word mob. I don't need to tell you, Governor, that's a, you, that's a word the president uses all the time, not to describe those on the right, but those to describe on the left, protesters in the streets, those who either have embraced Black Lives Matter or things related to the press in the streets for racial and social justice in this country. And he has built a portion of his campaign around suggesting that Democratic governors and Democratic mayors live within a comfort zone of a mob mentality, and they want to destroy the rule of law. Your response? Well, the president is a master of projection. Uh, the, the kinds of things that he uh, lives by are what he accuses others of doing. And I think this is just another example of that. I said mob mentality. It's the mindset that um, the that the rights of individuals supersede the rights of, of the, the general public and that they should be able to take justice into their own hands. This group that targeted me, these 14 men that were arrested for plotting to kidnap me also had plans to put me on some sort of a sham trial and then execute me. If you heard that about ISIS, we wouldn't be surprised. This is about Americans targeting their fellow Americans and, and threatening their lives. This is something that every one of us should be able to say that is unacceptable and they must be held accountable. Um, I'm hoping for a conviction and that they, that they serve their time so people know we do not accept this kind of uh, vigilantism in the United States of America. Yet the president said in your state, maybe it's a problem, maybe it isn't. I think that tells you everything you need to know about the character of this president to undermine what is the most serious plan to uh, hurt a governor in our nation, you know, is I think shows an incredibly callous approach to looking at everything through a lens of what does it mean for himself as opposed to what it means for the good of our country, the health of our people and the welfare of our democracy. He might say, oh, I was just joking. I was just kidding. And the audience kind of chuckled. I don't think any of it's funny. And anyone who thinks it's funny has a real um, twisted sense of, of what humor is. In 2020, we have a virus that is killing people. We have uh, so much division in our nation. We can't even agree on wearing masks, which is about all of our public safety and public health. We need to heal. I am worried about where we're headed as a country. I'm worried about COVID-19, of course, 
but I'm also worried about the longer term uh, ramifications of, of this rhetoric and this uh, mentality on our ability to, to find some common ground. Scorched earth hurts all of us. Common ground is where America is at our strongest and where we all have the ability to thrive. What do you believe is the current trajectory of populism in this country? Because it fueled Donald Trump in 2016. It may have fueled many Democrats in 2018. Is it a idea that either party has any access to or embracing of? What is populism in America right now? What is it in Michigan? Well, I think, you know, I really do believe that Michigan voters are, are pragmatic. You know, that's why the whole world looks to see what's going to happen here, because they know that voters here will be assessing and making some late decisions, as we always do. Uh, I think that's why no one can ever write off the state of Michigan. But we work hard. People came to the state from around the world for opportunity in the auto industry. You could come to Michigan, whether you grew up in the Middle East or you grew up down south, and there was a, a good paying job here and a high quality of life. Uh, we have rich diversity and, and people who expect our government to deliver. Um, and while we can get frustrated, and I think part of that plays into what happened in 2016, I think we're optimistic as well. And we love our families. And I, I think we're going to make decisions in this election based on those dinner table issues of, of health care and of job opportunity and of ensuring that um, our leaders represent the best of who we are and where we want to be headed. But you said pragmatic. Aren't some Democrats in Michigan ticked off? Uh, you mentioned trade. I'm sure they have to be have that on their minds. They might be ticked off about the virus. They might be ticked off on the direction of the country in terms of racial and social justice. I mean, pragmatic only gets you so far, right? Yeah. I mean, it, I, it's a culmination of all of these things. Uh, none of it is, is separate. None of it is uh, distinct from one another. It's the reality is that we have been confronting a lot as a nation. In an ordinary year, a pandemic would consume everything you get. In an ordinary year, a recession alone would consume everything you get. In an ordinary year, racial uprising, righteous racial uprising would consume everything you get. Or flooding, like we had a 500 year flooding event here because of climate change. Any one of these would mandate 100% of your energy in a normal year. We're confronting all of them right now. And I think that's why a leader who actually has a plan, that's the pragmatic side, to address all these issues, which is the populism side, um, is the one who I think is going to resonate. And that's why I feel good about our prospects for a Biden administration here. So listing all the things you just did, and the president is still in this race, as I'm sure you would concede, doesn't that astonish you? What does that tell you? If he, if this incumbent under the circumstances you just ticked off, still in this race, what does that tell you? Well, it just tells me that people are hurting and we're all feeling- uh, They're hurting hurt, and hurt. they want his brand of strength or at least they're enough inclined to- They're hurting. That? I think they're hurting and they're looking for a release. And he's giving that for some by continuing to stoke the, the fear and division. I also think though that the majority of us know What's happening now isn't working. It's not working for our country. This virus is out of control. Our economy is in the balance of it. And the one metric he likes to cite in terms of showing that he's doing a good job is what's happening on the Dow and it, it's plunging because this virus is so out of control. And so I do think that even people who maybe look at one metric to make their decisions are now saying this, what, what's happening in the United States is not working. We can't even travel anywhere. No one wants Americans to travel there because 
uh, we're so out of control in terms of our getting our arms around this virus. And so it's impacting every one of us. I think that's I think that's going to be definitive in this election. That's the voice of Gretchen Whitmer, Democratic governor of Michigan. I'm Major Garrett. Stay tuned for Section 4, or we can call it Segment 4 of The Takeout, in just a second. The Takeout with Major Garrett is brought to you in part by Kansas City Steaks. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com today and use code SIZZLE2020 at checkout. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. I'm Major Garrett. You know, this is one of my shows. I have another. It's called The Debrief. It is a once a week podcast, deep dive into one topic. I think you're going to love this week's episode. It's called Election Fever, all about the election to be what the early turnout might suggest. We have embedded CBS reporters on every battleground state. We talked to them about the legal issues that have gone on there, what turnout models there, what things are happening on the ground, plus the most informed political scientists on this election. The debrief, check it out on all your favorite podcast platforms. Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Democrat of Michigan, is our special guest. Uh, Governor, uh, when will Michigan be able to report its results on election night or the day after? That's a good question, Major. And I wanna, I'm glad you asked it because I think it's really important that we encourage everyone in the media to, you know, let's not report any results just because one campaign claims to have won. We want to get this count right. And we are going to have a historic number of ballots to count, many of which are coming in, you know, absentee. Even if you go and vote, quote unquote, early, it's really an absentee ballot that you're casting, and it can't start to get counted until election day. So the fact that we already have over 2 million in, and we still have six days left before election day tells me that's going to take a while to count. So our secretary of state is saying we will have a final count by Friday. I think we'll have it earlier than that, but we want to make sure that we get it right, not fast. As I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Governor, the mayor of Detroit has said it's going to effectively shut down for two days so as many people that the mayor can call upon can help assist with the processing of those ballots in the Detroit area. Is that, do I have that right? Well, so the mayor of Detroit recognizes that we need about, I, I think the number was 30,000 people to work the polls on election day. And so, uh, so many is in, are in the city of Detroit. And so it's, city employees are going to be working the polls. And I think that that's, that's a great, a great thing. We need to make sure that we get this right. And it's what, why it still is my hope that people will go and vote before election day. We're, of course, worried that if you crowd in Election Day or you wait, you spend your whole day waiting in line, 
um, that that could contribute to some COVID spread. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to get every vote counted. We want to keep people safe. Will you have as many polling places as you ordinarily would? Yes. And we have drop boxes all across the state as well. So if people get that absentee ballot and they want to take it home and fill it out, they can return it at a drop box so that it's, it's they even drive through. So they don't even have to get out of the safety of their car. And that's another way that we're trying to make it safe for people to cast that ballot. I spoke to you earlier about Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. One thing our audience should know if you don't already, and you can hear more about this in detail in the podcast I just mentioned, the debrief, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania have something else in common. They also, all three, can't begin to process, meaning open and begin to prepare for counting their mail-in ballots until election day. Does that give you anxiety about those three states not being able to report until sometime deep into Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday? Well, of, of course it does. And I think that it's why we want to renew our our calls to everyone in the media to really uh, not jump to declare a victor in any of these states. Uh, 40, upwards of 40% of these ballots could be absentee ballots, and it's going to take longer to count them. So considering uh, how slim some of these elections were decided in 16, we don't want anyone to claim victory until all those ballots are counted. If people are interested about how they can vote, you know, there, there's a lot going on in our courts right now, challenging the date uh, by which those ballots have to be in. In Michigan, they have to be received on election day um, or prior in order to get counted. And that's why we're telling people don't mail anything anymore. Drop it off at a drop box or at the clerk's office. But if people want to know what their ability is, they should go to IWillVote.com. All you have to do is put your address in. It'll tell you where you can vote, how you can vote, what your options are. And it's really a, a wonderful tool so that people can uh, make sure that they've got the most up-to-date information about how to make sure their ballot gets gets in and gets counted. You're suggesting something, but I want to make sure I understand what you might be suggesting. When you say, if someone says that they have uh, declared something, uh, hold off. Are you talking about the president? I, I'm talking about anybody, frankly. But yes, of course, I think that he's already made it very clear that he's uh, believes that if the count's not done on on election day, that it's not valid. Um, I think he's trying to lay the groundwork for a challenge. And the fact of the matter is, uh, it, there's a very real possibility in states that are going to decide this election that there will not be an official count um, or even uh, unofficial count by the end of election day. And that's why we've got to just be realistic and we've got to make sure that we're communicating so you know where we are in the counting process. And we will make sure to be doing that throughout election day and the days after if necessary. So... Florida counts rapidly, North Carolina counts rapidly. If the former vice president wins one or both, it might be an early evening. Hey, you know what? That is very true. All I can say is that here in Michigan, we're, we don't have those same tools that those states do. I'd, I'd be do you wish you had thrilled them? if we did. I, of course I wish we had them. I'd, but the legislature in Republican hands would not uh, deal with you on this, correct? Correct, correct. I mean, we do have 24 hours where we can take the absentee ballots out of the envelopes and put them in the right precinct. It's not counting. It's just simply taking them out of that bigger envelope. Um, that will help save some time, but one day's worth to process just that's, that's not nearly enough. And so it's going to take a little while. And so you don't anticipate a victory night party, even for the former vice president? <laughs> you know what? I, I can't tell you what's going to happen in all the other states, but I, I, my prediction is in Michigan, it's going to take a little while. My hope 
is that we get that count in and we can have confidence in it. But we all recognize uh, the road to the White House often goes through this state. We want to get this count right. Um, I'd rather have it take a little bit longer and get it right so everyone can have confidence than to move fast and run the risk of getting it wrong. You mentioned a 500 year flood. What is the situation in Michigan after that? Well, I mean, we have I, I have a community that's been just devastated by a, a flooding event. Uh, these are old dams that haven't been reinvested in. Infrastructure remains an issue f- across the country. It was one of the things that I was hopeful the Trump administration would get a get a solution on, and they they haven't. And they also haven't done anything with regard to combating climate change. And these two um, issues, you know, collided, and and it's it's been very hard for this community. We've been working really hard. The National Guard's been great. I've asked the president to fully fund our National Guard like he did for some other states like Florida. He's he's not done that yet, um, but we're doing everything we can on the ground to make sure we're, we're helping people. But climate change is a reality, not just in fires in, on the West Coast, not just in hurricanes down South, but in terms of, of flooding events here in the Great Lakes too. Real quick, will you have to mobilize either your National Guard or any local law enforcement for polling site protection or anything like that? So we're working very closely with our locals to ensure that they've got the resources they need to keep people safe. And we have great confidence in our ability to do that. But we're we're watching and have ongoing conversations as we get closer to Election Day. That's the voice of Gretchen Whitmer, the Democratic governor of the great state of Michigan. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell. But for those on the podcast platform at CBSN, stay tuned for one more segment. That's the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you there in a second. From CBS News, this is the Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. This is your Takeout Outtake Especial, our special guest, Democratic Governor of the great state of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. Governor, you're much younger than I am, but we do have something semi in common. We were both born late in the month of August, you August 23rd, me August 24th. So the big astrological question, are you more Leo or Virgo? I think most people would say I'm more Leo, (laughs) but the astrological charts bring it into doubt. So I'm going to pick my favorite thing of both traits and go with that. What do you think? Well, uh, I often I have this really terrible joke that I was born on the cusp of Leo and Virgo, and it's always very painful to be born on a cusp, you know. <laughs> uh, so, yes, uh, I have uh, both of the tendencies, uh, if you look at the astrological, on the plus and the negative side. And I guess it depends on how pressurized my workday is and how tired I am. So <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Uh, one thing we ask all of our guests who are kind enough to join us for the Outtake Especial is uh, three threshold questions which are as follows. You can take them in any order you prefer, Governor. Most influential book in your life, all-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies, and if you're going to really indulge yourself musically, uh, what kind of artist or genre are you most likely to listen to? Oh, okay. Those are tough. So To Kill a Mockingbird had a big impact on me growing up, and I think Atticus Finch as a public servant and as a lawyer um, and as a social justice advocate, it was uh, someone that I always looked up to as that character in that book. Movie. I mean, my go-to, <laughs> this is going to be silly, but I love The Big Lebowski. It always cracks me up when I watch The Big Lebowski. It's one of the funniest movies ever. And then uh, music genre. That's interesting. 
So I have kind of an eclectic taste, but I am a child of the 80s. So I'll often turn on 80s on on eight as we're traveling. I get I, I dig that. So the Big Lebowski, that is we've had it mentioned a couple of times on the show. This show is more than three and a half years old, but always by guys. And the rap on that movie is it's a dude's movie. Only guys understand that movie. And most women don't or don't hang with the humor of it. But you get it. Oh man, I love it. I, I think the dude is one of the funniest characters ever created. <laughs> and all of his dude friends. I mean, there are not many women in the movie and the ones that are, are kind of uh, tangential to the overall dudeism of the whole movie. I don't know. Julianne Moore is kind of a bad <laughs> in the movie. Yes, she is. She very much is. She very much is. And uh, it did nothing but propel white Russians back into the uh, lexicon of American bartending. I mean, now that you say it, it sounds kind of tasty. It's a little early. <laughs> Um, Back to uh, matters of state, Um, and this is on the slightly serious more side of things. Um, An ongoing saga in Michigan has been the water situation in Flint. That is not a joking matter, but it is closer to a resolution now than it ever has been, if I understand things correctly. Where are things now, and what is the takeaway of what happened there, who suffered, and why? Well, the the Flint crisis happened under my predecessor's watch and decisions mm-hmm. were made yes. to not treat the water to save a little bit of money. And that decision was catastrophic. It leached the lead from pipes and poisoned um, a lot of people, especially children in Flint. And um, while the and there was and there was blame to go around at the local, state and federal level, was yes, there not? Um, certainly. And, you know, I wasn't actually in office when all of this came to light, but it was one of the things that inspired me to jump in and run for governor. So since taking office, our attorney general and I have been working really hard to make sure that we get some justice for the people of Flint. We have entered into a settlement. You know, one of the things that is I enjoy least about being governor um, is that I've inherited all the lawsuits against my predecessor. And so I've been trying to uh, settle it and get some get some compensation and some peace of mind for the people who were hurt by my predecessor's decision. So we did get a settlement done. We have made a lot of investments in terms of supporting the schools and the nutrition for children of Flint, because we know how important that is for remediating a lot of the um, impacts of, of lead being in the water with these young forming mines. Uh, We also have been working very closely with Mayor Sheldon Neely, who's the new mayor of Flint, to ensure that we're barreling toward the full replacement of the pipes. Uh, So we've made a lot of strides. The water hasn't tested at, uh, you know, alarming lead levels for a long time, but earning back the confidence uh, of the community is going to take, is going to take a while. And we're working every day to do that because Uh, They deserve no less. The pandemic has laid bare economic injustices that people might say the Flint situation is exactly an exemplar of. People who are poor, people who don't have political clout, get screwed. And whether that's in a pandemic or not, it's the same. Yeah. So one of the things that um, I did coming into office was I I leveled a lot of barriers that keep real uh, people of, of real representation out of the mix in terms of being candidates. So we have the most diverse cabinet in Michigan history. One of the important people throughout this pandemic has been Dr. Janae Caldoun, our chief medical executive. She's a black woman who's also an ER doc. 
She was one of the first people in the nation to look at the data and see the demographic issues playing out in terms of racial disparities. Michigan was one of the first states in the nation to share that demographic data and to do a um, sustained outreach to the communities of color because they were so incredibly vulnerable to this particular virus for a variety of reasons. I think that that's going to drive a lot of the work that we do, not just in this moment, but coming out of, of the crisis when we do get there. Because we get a lot of work in this country to do around racial justice, around equity, and um, and we're serious about it. That's the voice of Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Democrat, Michigan, co-chair of the former Vice President Joe Biden's presidential campaign. Governor, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks for giving us so much time and thanks for a great conversation. I appreciate it very much. I enjoyed it a lot. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanen, Grace Seegers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be because Survivor 46 is here and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.